Mackerel Podcast number 416 for July 16th, 2014. Brought to you by Citrix's ShareFile. Enhance your workflow and send files of almost any size easily and securely. And Betterment, the most popular automated investment service with over 36,000 customers. Welcome to another Macworld podcast. I'm Chris Breen, and Serenity Caldwell is not with me this week. Instead, she's ransacking her parents' home in Southern California. Instead, I am uh, happily joined by Mr. Dan Miller. Hey, Dan. Uh, hey, hey, Chris. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I, uh, am I happy about joining you, or are you happy about me joining you? My, my hope is that there's equal happiness being <laughs> shared here. Happily joined. Yes. Uh, but not geographically. You are no. you are up in the pod cave. I am elsewhere. Yes, in a secret location. Right, Some, exactly right. Somewhere on the central coast of California. Yeah, yeah, very nice here. Um, okay, so we have uh, again not a not a huge news week, but there are some interesting things going on in the broader world of technology that I wanted to talk about with you. And uh, the first was um, our old nemesis. And I really think it is old nemesis at this point, Microsoft. Uh, Satya Nadella, who is the new guy CEO in charge, would like to return to the days of glory. Uh, set out apparently a very long, kind of rambling memo, 3,100 words, to Microsoft's employees saying, this is who we are, and this is what we're not. And, uh, and I think the subtext was prepare for layoffs. Um, so I don't know if you've read through the thing. I have not, um, because it just would be more than I could stand to read. I skimmed it. Yeah. What did What did you get from it? I get that, uh, as you said, that layoffs are coming. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, I think the guy, you know, it's a funny little thing. It's it, like you say, it's 3,100 words long. And, uh, you know, it's it's very vague. It's very kind of vaporous. It's full of a lot of corporate speak. Mm-hmm. But if you if you do read between the lines, what he's saying is we are going to change what we do. And uh, anytime a CEO says that, I think you have to start looking for, you know, you start to start firing up your resume a little bit. Right. Um, but the thing that got to me was, you know, they have said before that they are a cloud first company. We get that. They're a mobile first company. We get that. But I thought what was interesting was that he said we are about productivity. That, as uh, Christina Warren on on Mashable pointed out, that was sort of the new buzzword that he really brought out here, was productivity. And and I think, in some ways, what he was saying is, look, let's be clear about things. We are not competing with Apple or even Google in terms of you know, consumers. We're, we're, we're not going after that consumer market per se. We're really focusing on productivity. And they did say that, you know, you are not, what they said is, uh, the line that I actually liked was he said, you are not just a consumer, which is, a, you know, a good thing to remind people that we do mm-hmm. use our computers at work. And that it's not just about bringing your iPhone and your iPad or whatever other consumer device you have to your work. There are some things that really need to be purpose-built in order to make people more productive. And that is, in fact, what Microsoft does very well. And I think that's, uh, you know, if, if, if I were to say, you know, what's, what's Microsoft's big strategic strength in this, in this supposed battle with, with Google, Apple, and others, it's, it is its productivity focus. So, you know, I thought that was a pretty smart thing for him to say. So what, what do you think this means for people who use Apple technology? I think prior to this, under the Balmer days, and even under the Gates days to an extent, 
that they pretty much said, Apple is verboten. We're not interested in doing anything for Apple except what we really have to do, which seems to be Office. But forget about iOS apps. We're not going to do that. We're going to continue to sort of push this Windows-centric focus. I've seen that change a little bit. I think the fact that the iPad apps came out. But do you think there's a broader message here for people who use Apple technology and would also benefit from using Microsoft stuff? Well, I, again, it's it, going back to the we are not a consumer company. I think he's saying, you know, you may be using Microsoft technologies even if you're not buying them per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I believe he gave the example either in this memo or in uh, an earlier speech he gave where he was talking about that, um, what's it called, Vesper? The uh, the note taking app that that John Gruber and right. and friends are working on, and it, they don't have a version for Windows. But what they do have is they use Microsoft's Azure platform to mm-hmm. develop it. So anybody who buys Vesper is actually using Microsoft technology without even knowing it. <gasps> yeah, no gasp. So it's it's kind of interesting that you know. In some ways, I always made me think, is, is Microsoft kind of going the IBM direction where they're saying, you know, you don't have to buy our stuff, but we're going to be there no matter what you're using, no matter whose products you're using, we're going to be there in the background somewhere. Uh, helping out uh, in the cloud with cloud services, with, with productivity apps, with something. We're there uh, no matter what you're using. And the other thing I got from this, and maybe it's just from the interpretation of it, is that they talked a bit about, or he talked a bit about, um, we're going to use, you know, we're we're trying to get back to the days of glory. And, and part of the thing about the money that they've been spending on this, I think I saw a number like billions went into uh, promotion and advertising for Windows 8. I think that when he's when they're talking about layoffs and refocusing where they put their money, I think part of it is, the message being, we are going to develop technologies that people love to use and are enthusiastic about it, which I think is a different approach than Balmer, which is, we're going to develop this and shove it down your throats, <laughs> and if you don't like it, we're just going to keep throwing money at the idea that we can make you accept this, and we're going to cut off the path of retreat, so basically, it's this or nothing. Yeah. Um, and I, do you see that as a refocus here, where they're just going, you know, okay, sort of tacitly admitting Windows 8 was a huge mistake, we wasted a ton of money on this, and we're going to go forward instead and start thinking about who consumes our products instead of what we think they should be consuming. I think, I think there's a certain opportunism here. I think, you know, again, looking at some of the reporting, I mean, people pointed out that, that they, yeah, I'm not following Microsoft the way I used to when I used to work, I hate to say it, PC World. Um, you know, but they, they do have these things that do have, that do have some, some mind share, um, uh, like the Surface Pro 3. I mean, they, they came out here and said, we're going to do something that competes with the MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's completely contradicting what I just said about they're not doing consumer device. I mean, they are doing these devices. I think they're looking for things that succeed. And if they say, hey, this is working, let's go after that. But the thing that gets me is, is, is there seems to be, and, and this is the problem with doing a 3100 word memo is is the focus thing yeah. is that I think you know if I hate to hold up Apple as the perfect corporation but you know I do admire what they do and I think one of the things that they do is focus and I think you know their message is much simpler I think they could boil down their future focus and their future direction in, in far fewer than 3100 words and I think that's a problem I think that's a problem if you cannot state your mission that quickly um, you're, maybe there's something wrong with your mission yeah, I don't mean to pick on Microsoft, um, but I do think they have been unfocused for a long time, and they really have been trying to uh, flailing about deciding what they are. Because prior to that, I think their mission was we have Windows and we have Office, and then we have sort of side projects. So you know, 
you know, the Xbox, for example, which is a great side project to have, but sure. it, it took them a while to get there. Um, and then everything else was sort of like, yeah, we're going to do cloud, but we're not quite sure how to do that. And then there's Windows Phone, but really there's not quite that much room for us anymore because now there's Android and iOS and nobody wants a third player. Um, so I hope, and again, because I don't think we need to view Microsoft as our enemy anymore, but I, I generally like the idea of somebody kind of coming in there with a broom and cleaning things up a little bit and saying, this is sort of what we're going to be. Although, as you say, in a 3,100-word memo, maybe that uh, that isn't the best way to start. No. All right. Well, we're going to move on to another topic. But before we do, let's talk about Citrix's share file, which is a way to enhance your workflow and send files of almost any size easily and securely. In business, we're constantly collaborating with coworkers and clients, sharing files like contracts, spreadsheets, and presentations. And it's essential that these important files are kept safe, secure, and under your control. And that's why I recommend Citrix's ShareFile, the easy-to-use business solution that allows you to exchange files quickly and securely. When I'm faced with a situation where I need to send a large file to a colleague, one that's never going to fit through an email gateway, and I want to be sure that the person I sent it to has really received it, I turn to ShareFile rather than a traditional cloud-based sharing service. Because with ShareFile, you can send files of almost any size, so there are no bounce backs. You can control who has access to your files and the level of permissions that they have. It syncs automatically, so you and your team will always have the most updated materials, and you can access ShareFile from anywhere, laptop, tablet, or smartphone. You can work on the go. I want you to give ShareFile a try, and here's how. Sign up today and receive a 30-day free trial. There's no obligation. Go to ShareFile.com, click on the microphone icon at the top of the homepage, and enter Macworld. Remember, ShareFile.com, and type in Macworld. So, uh, what topic that I was hoping we could talk about today that was in the news uh, is a kind of an odd little story about uh, the possibility that iPads could call or cause allergies, uh, specifically allergies to nickel, the metal nickel, which apparently I, I had never known this. Uh, some some materials like that do do cause allergic reactions in some people, and there was specifically, uh, as far as I know, just one case so far that that has that has made the made the news. Uh, an eleven year old boy in San Diego developed a uh, skin allergy. Uh, and uh, doctors traced it to his use of the iPad. Um, and I just thought that's a kind of a fascinating thing. I've never heard of it before, but apparently this is a known known phenomenon uh, that metals can cause allergies. People have you know rings made of different things that cause cause skin problems. Uh, so I just wanted to to talk briefly about, you know, not to take it too far, but but are we not concerned enough about the potential health hazards of some of these electronic devices that we use? If it's not, say, a skin allergy, perhaps it's radiation, perhaps it's something else altogether. What do you think, Chris? I think that there are, there are a number of people that are concerned about this sort of thing. I think you know the obvious one is um, cell phones, and prior to that, microwaves, and that that we have these various kinds of radiation floating around in, in our world or living under power lines. And um, people have done studies that say, oh, if you live in this zone, you're more likely, there's a 
cancer cluster here, or if uh, people were getting higher rates of brain cancer, and maybe that has something to do with cell phone use because you've got this uh, radiating antenna next to your head. Then on the other hand, people will go in and do further research on it and say, you don't know, it's not really showing up that way. It turns out not to be the case. I thought the, the nickel thing was interesting in that um, I think it became a headline because it was about Apple. Um, it turns out I actually am allergic to nickel. And um, and I discovered this because I had a belt buckle that the chrome had worn off. And uh, apparently I need to lose some weight because my stomach was touching my belt buckle. And I developed this weird itchy rash there. And I finally traced it to the, the shape of the belt buckle. Oh, I'm allergic to nickel. And, wow. Um, yeah. So one of just one of those things. But so that said... I've been using iPads since the very first day they came out, and I am not covered in sores or pustules. Do so, you have a case on it? Uh, I do not. I That's use very just, interesting. Just use my regular old thing. So, but that apparently is the cure, right? I looked at the story and they said, "Well, the cure is put a case on it." And yeah, then and, and I want to give a shout out to iMore.com because uh-huh. they came out with a story today that said, "Here, if you've got an allergy to." your iPad, or if you have any kind of problem at all with touching your iPad here, here are some good cases for you to use. I thought it was a very useful, helpful approach to the story. I, I think it is. But again, given that it's one person. It in, is one person so we, far. Right. So, you know, I, I last I looked, I did not see this huge expose on belt buckles. <laughs> and uh, based on my single case... Um, yeah, because Apple is good news. So yeah, it's, and, and you know, and I, I too, when I saw the story and I started thinking, you know, what are the health hazards kind of thing, and I did look it up. And, and if you go to say WebMD or whatever, they will tell you that the studies so far are inconclusive in terms of radiation hazards, which is not to say they don't exist, but that right now the doctors don't have definitive proof one way or the other. Um, does that mean that you should hold your cell phone up to your head at all all the time? Well, you know. No, get a headset. Um, does that mean you shouldn't have it in your pocket all the time? Well, maybe not. Maybe you should carry it in a bag or something. I don't know. I mean, you can take suitable precautions for a lot of these things, even if there isn't uh, definitive evidence one way or another. Um, but I don't think I don't think that this is going to be a problem for Apple. I don't think they're going to have to come up with some new material to, to make their iPads out of. Right, and then actually, when these stories first came out about, particularly about cell phones, people said, "Oh, you, you know, use a headset." And then there was a whole group of people who said, "No, if you use a headset, it actually increases the radiation and it pinpoints it into you. So you know, it's worse." And they said, "Well, okay, then get Bluetooth." No, that's a whole different kind of way of going to it. I just don't think there's any way to be safe from anything. Plus, there are so many things going on around us in the environment. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're bathed in radiation at all times. At all I, times, including the sun. Including um, the sun. I do think, you know, if, if, if you're really that worried, put your phone down. Exactly. Go back to the old dial phone. Put it down just for a little while. Yeah. Don't yeah. have it on you at all times. Not a, not a bad idea. That said, mine is sitting in my pocket, and I'm not that worried about it. Really? But you've already mm-hmm. had your kids. <laughs> That's true. Okay. And they didn't have fins or... As far as you know. As far as I know. Um, You know, we have a a story from um, Ted Landau that that came out yesterday. And this is about um, iLife and iWork and how those names seem to be disappearing, if not disappeared altogether. Um, Is that it now? Are we we done talking about iLife and iWork and instead sort of talking about individual apps? Well, I think we should be. Um, 
you know, the whole notion of a suite is just sort of uh, antique at this point. It, it, as far as I can tell, it stemmed from the time when you actually bought stuff in a box and you could get more than one app in a box. Well, voila, you have a suite. Uh, but now that everything's downloadable, it's like, why even bother about it? It's just a branding thing. And frankly, I'm not sure that the iLife brand means anything to anybody anymore. I mean, iPhoto means something to people. iMovie means something else or means many things to different people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think iLife is, is, is a valuable brand or a useful brand at all. Uh, ditto for iWork. Uh, I think, you know, pages may mean something to people, but iWork, really? You know, I thought it was interesting, and it's not just Apple. I think it was interesting when, when uh, Microsoft, going back to Microsoft, when they released the Office apps for iPad, there was not, a, it wasn't like you really got Office. You didn't buy Office. You bought Word, or you bought Excel, mm-hmm. or you bought PowerPoint, and and I think it's a general recognition that the notion of a suite is is a relic, and we don't really need it anymore. Yeah, and I think particularly this comes with advances in the operating system. In the past, we depended on iLife or iWork to sort of talk to each other, or certainly in the case of Microsoft Office, that you could work in a spreadsheet in Excel, and it would automatically send its data over to to Word and incorporate that into the table there, and then they would send stuff back and forth. I think now we all have avenues within the operating system so that you no longer have to do that. I mean, we'd like to see more of that on iOS, and I hope that comes with iOS 8. But the idea that you no longer have to sort of build an entire structure within the structure to make these things communicate. So meaning that iLive, yeah, maybe not so much, that you don't need the media browser anymore that's tied specifically to the iLive suite or uh, components that are in iWork. But, But as you say, they're simply individual apps. You buy the one you want. You don't buy the one that you don't want. Uh, for example, I never use numbers ever, so there wasn't a whole, there wasn't a great need for me to have that as part of it. I mean, I guess I, I sort of feel like, oh, look, three apps for only whatever they charge for. <laughs> <laughs> but if one of them is one you never use, then you know, where's the value there? Yeah, and you know, it, I think the 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 more general question here, <clears throat> excuse me, is okay. So Apple's announced that they're going to get rid of iPhoto and Aperture in favor of this new Photos app that's going to come out, what is it, next year, I think? Yeah. And, and which, is, which is an interesting thing because iLife was your consumer-level suite. Was your, those were your consumer-level apps. And now they're going to kind of, you know, smush everything into one photo app. Um, what does that mean for the pro-level apps that, that Apple does have? Um, so is GarageBand going to get going to is that going to go away too? Is is iMovie are the, all those apps that are in iLife now the supposedly consumer level apps are they all going to go away in favor of something that's sort of more mid level? That's the question to me. Yeah, I I wonder because I I think when you're talking about a an app like well I'll take Logic because I'm a yeah. musician right. Um, Doing, I mean, being a musician is hard. And I'm not saying that there aren't other jobs that are hard, but you have to have a very specific skill set that you've worked on for years and years and years and years. You know, it's not the kind of thing that you can open up logic and say, hey, I'm going to be a musician today. Uh, maybe you come to it after five years, um, unless you're doing sound design or you're a, a DJ or something like that. Um, where I think that really is this very sort of... Um, unique skill set that you would need this high-level app for. 
Final Cut probably the same way. The kinds of things that you're going to do in Final Cut are so obscure, except to a small group of people, that there is a reason for that app to exist. Everybody now is a photographer. And the huh. line between consumer, enthusiastic, amateur is so blurred now where it doesn't take long before you sort of exceed the powers of, of iPhoto and you want something more that um, I think there's a much broader market there so that maybe they don't need to have the very, very specific app for photographers and, or maybe that app continues to be something like Photoshop where you want to do serious manipulation that 99% of photographers don't need to use. Well, I think that's the interesting question here, is, is, and it's the thing to keep an eye on moving forward, is, is what is Apple's attitude towards its professional apps? Is it something it wants to keep doing? Is it going to be something it abandons? I think it's, it's going to be an open question over the next year, and it's worth keeping an eye on. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to keep an eye on two more things, but before we do, a word from Betterment, which is the most popular automated investment service with over 36,000 customers. What if managing your investment portfolio was as easy as using your favorite iPhone app? It is now, with Betterment, the most popular automated investment service with over 36,000 customers. Betterment has seamlessly integrated technology and years of investment expertise into one elegant application that will transform the way you invest. Betterment's UX and UI are adored by tech and design enthusiasts alike, especially since sign-up is quick and doesn't involve all the red tape of other investment providers. Their platform customizes a globally diversified portfolio based on your personal goals and time horizon. Once you've invested, everything is automated from rebalancing and tax minimization to regular deposits from your bank account. With killer technology under the hood and iPhone and Android apps to make it easy to check your progress on the go, it's hard to believe that Betterment is as low cost as it is. Investing with Betterment saves you time and money, improves your returns, and minimizes your taxes. For a limited time, Betterment is offering Macworld listeners up to six months of automated investment management for free when you visit Betterment.com slash Macworld. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T dot com slash Macworld. One of the things that happens during my day is that I receive many, 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 many press releases and each and every one is fascinating and I pay attention to every single word of each one. Um, what I've noticed however in a trend and I don't make, mean to make this inside baseball but I think there's a broader story here is that I'm getting more stuff based around Kickstarter and the Kickstarter economy. So I'm seeing more of these pictures, uh, pitches that say oh look this is going to come out on Kickstarter or it got a good Kickstarter thing or this is uh, you know some sort of Kickstarter tie-in and what happens to me when I look at these things is I tend to ignore them as much as I ignore other ones. Where Kickstarter used to be sort of this rarefied thing where like, oh, look, it's the people promoting this thing. And if enough people promote it, that means it's worthwhile. So it served as this kind of great filter. It seems now that PR and commerce have stepped in and just throw Kickstarter in as a buzzword as part of PR releases. Which makes me wonder if it's if they're kind of killing it, um, that it doesn't become sort of the people's promotion, but now it's been taken over sort of as a corporate culture, and it doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, and that was as sharp as my focus got on this thing. But I wonder if, it, if it's been co-opted, um, and we have to start looking for the next thing like that. Well, I, I mean... Hmm. 
I, I haven't, frankly, been, I haven't paid close enough attention to really be able to speak in any kind of uh, responsible manner, so I'll just speak irresponsibly. Um, there was the whole potato salad thing um, where the guy said, I'm going to make some potato salad, and he had a Kickstarter campaign for that, and he made, there was like thousands of dollars in pledges. I'm not sure what people got out of it. I guess they were going to get some potato salad out of it. You know, so as a <laughs> But perform- not in the mail, please. I hope not. Um, but so as a sort of performance art uh, uh, parent, of, of the whole Kickstarter thing, I thought, well, you know, he's saying something there, which is that, you know, people will fund, apparently, almost anything. Um, you know, in today's attention economy, if you can get the attention of somebody, you can make some serious money. Uh, but at the same time, I read there was a story this weekend about uh, the guy, who's the guy's name? Zach Braff, the actor and director mm-hmm. who made a new movie, and I think it's called Wish I Was Here, and he funded that at least partly, I think, the startup costs on Kickstarter. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool because, you know, movie studios, the whole economics of, of movies have changed radically over the past couple of years, and just like music business, and, and here's an avenue for people to, to get the money to necessary to start up a movie, at least just to get stuff going. And I thought, well, that that's pretty cool. Um, and I think uh, the, the people who gave to the campaign, get they get a movie debut in, in their hometown, something like that, or they get invited to the movie debuts. Uh, so, you know, I think that's, that's kind of cool. But uh, I agree that there's sort of a saturation point at this point where every other press release that comes in says, yeah, this is a Kickstarter thing. Um, you know, I am I am a big proponent of, uh, you know, not to take the story too big, but I mean, a big, I'm a big proponent of making people who, who use a service or a product to actually pay for it. I'm not as big a fan of, of the free. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I like this notion of people saying, I'm going to use Kickstarter to get started, but at some point you got to, you got to, you know, are people actually going to pay to use your service instead of just, you know, getting a shout out in your credits? Right, and I think that's that was my main concern about this, because I do like the idea of things that are worthwhile being funded, like, as you say, a movie. Uh, I've given money to musicians who've uh, tried to get their album through Kickstarter, and I, and I feel proud that I was part of that effort. Um, my concern, again, is, is the creeping commercialism of it, where, again, it's just another buzzword to put into PR, so that it becomes less valuable and you have to spend more time kind of sifting through it to find worthwhile projects versus this is just part of our business plan because everybody's doing Kickstarter. So we look cooler if we do it that way. So um, anyway, this is mostly my hope that um, that Kickstarter remains pure in, in a sense and that uh, those seeking to take advantage of it fail miserably. And then there's the Chinese government and its state-controlled media. It appears that the Chinese are after Apple. And, uh, and the iPhone specifically over spying. Have you followed this story at all? Uh, I saw it. Didn't it pop up over the weekend? Yeah. And, and, yeah. And so, so the Chinese are saying that the, the iPhone could be used for spying uh, because of a variety of tracking technologies. You could tell you know, where somebody is or, or who, they're, uh, who they're with, that kind of thing. Um, you know, it's one of those stories where at first blush you kind of go, "What?" But <laughs> you know, it's it's China, and they've got you know they've got the Great Firewall, and they've got all these other sort of technological concerns. Uh, so you know, they're I think uh, they're. Um, it's it uh, on the on the surface it seems ridiculous. Well, of course, yes, you can track. It's it's like Scott McNally privacy. You have no privacy. Get over it. I mean, and that implies to. Chinese people too. Um, 
I, you know, and it, I suppose it takes sort of a, a slightly paranoid authoritarian government to say, ah, you see, this could be used to spy on people. Well, yeah, I wonder who'd want to do that. <laughs> right. um, but I also think that the interesting thing to me is that, is that uh, you know, it's kind of a shot across the bow from China to Apple to say, you know, you, you're doing very well here, uh, and yet your position here is not, you know, don't, be, don't get too comfortable. We can always do things that will mess you up. Uh, why they want to do that, I have absolutely no idea. But, you know, it's the actually, you know, I've had this sort of um, obsession with the Apple in China story only because if you look at Apple's numbers, uh, China is actually sort of its, I think, its top growth opportunity, mm-hmm. or, you know, in recent last sort of the last year and for the next couple of years that, that they've got this enormous opportunity to grow, uh, to sell products in China. And, you know, absent a huge blockbuster like the iPhone, if you if you wanted to pick up something that's going to be a blockbuster for, for Apple, it's going to be China. And so they are vulnerable there. And, and as I say, I have no idea why, why China would want to do anything except to say, hey, remember who's boss here. And I think that's, that's, that's how I read it. Yeah, I have a, I have a theory. Um, one, <laughs> one is that I, even in China, I think Apple is a good headline. They could do this with anybody. They could have done it with Android phones as well. Because what they're really saying is that iPhones have the ability to track your location. Well, of course they do. So do Android phones. So do Windows phones. It, location is an important component of smartphones these days. So this is nothing uh, nothing shocking. Also, Apple said, yeah, right. Well, we do it in the U.S. and we do it in Europe and we do it in Africa and we do it everywhere else, too. But the fact is, this location data is on your phone and it is not being sent to us so that we know where you are at every minute of the day it's hashed and so this location is for your benefit not for ours and by the way we're not in the business of opening our back door to governments we don't do it in the u.s and we don't do it anywhere else um so that's that shouldn't really be a problem for you but to call out Apple and iPhones over this is good because it's like, oh, really? Headlines? So if we put Apple in that, oh, good. We'll do that here in, the, in our country as well and our state-sponsored media. Um, the other thing, too, is that China has its own mobile phone industry. And uh, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be nice if they sold more of those than they sold iPhones? Sure, they're getting a cut of iPhone sales. But if they could sell a domestic product and make their customers um, concerned about using an iPhone, that, too, is a win for China and and then as you say this also gives the Chinese some leverage where they can say you know we have them we own the media here and we own an awful lot of things so though it may seem to you that the pot is calling the kettle black um, this whole idea of monitoring our citizens we can pump that up to the point where we could affect your sales and so we would like the following please one two three four and five and uh, because China is such a big market this would allow them to get greater concessions out of Apple, which would be good for the Chinese. Certainly would. Okay. So that was it. That was my theory. And it's a good one. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Until such time as I get a message. As from we the, actually have some evidence one way or the other. Uh, well, yes, but evidence. Some evidence. Yeah, no, it's exactly. much, much better. I mean, it's a podcast. We just make this stuff up. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, but we're done making stuff up for the week. And uh, so I think I'm just going to call it quits if you're okay with that. Works for me. Okay. Thank you very much, Dan, for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Good. We'll have you on soon. We'll have to do it again sometime. Excellent. 
And so that wraps up another episode of the Macworld Podcast, brought to you by Citrix's ShareFile. Enhance your workflow and send files of almost any size, easily and securely, and Betterment, the most popular automated investment service with over 36,000 customers. If you have any comments or questions, drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com. Thanks very much for listening.